Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, it's great to be here. And um, we're coming now towards the end of our study of Ephesians. And um, towards the end of Ephesians, Paul talks about the whole matter of work. So I thought I would uh, expand that a little bit for you all this morning. So if you've got Bibles, um, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. And Paul's talking to the church and he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart and work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favourites. And you remember uh, probably a year ago now, we went through the book of Colossians and we didn't cover this in Colossians, but in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, Paul says very much the same thing again. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as long as as well, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that your master, the one you are serving, is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you've done, for God has no favourites. And it's interesting that. In both of those books, we go through some very, very spiritual concepts. And right at the very end, Paul talks about something quite normal and basic to all of us, and that's going to work. So work, what's it really good for? (laughs) If, If we're honest, come on, let's be honest. If we're honest, there have been times in our lives, you may be there today, where you hate... Come on, let's be honest. You're such a holy lot. (laughs) You know, you often hear people say, oh, I can't wait till Friday. Or, I can't wait until I retire. I was was in a hotel the other week, and uh, when you go in a hotel and you go to the reception desk and they say, hello, Stephen, that's a really bad sign, because you're obviously there too much. But I, I said to the receptionist, I said, I'll see you next Tuesday, I'm here next Tuesday, and she said, not if I win the lottery. (laughs) And uh, I just thought, you know, people just don't like going to work. But as believers, our perception of work must be different. If you've got Bibles, let's turn to the book of Genesis. It's right at the front. Can anybody read me the first verse? Anybody like to read the first verse? In the beginning, God created. God was working. It's the fifth word of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, so the creation of heaven and earth and everything in him was completed. And on the seventh day, he finished his work of creation and he rested. So it must have been hard work. From all his work. And work isn't a necessary evil. Because God worked for the sheer joy of it. 
Because in, in Genesis 1 verse 31, it says that God looked over all that he'd made and he saw that it was good. And God created Adam and Eve in his own image and as part of that image, it's the image of a worker. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, the perfect world as it was meant to be, and he gave them work to do. He asked them to work in and care for the garden of Eden and also to rule over all the birds and the animals. Because we read in Genesis 2, verse 15, that God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him and said, You may freely eat of all the fruit of every tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. And then the Lord said, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each of them. And he gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper that was right for him. Now, if you're busy, what's the first thing you need? A helper. So the man had lots of work to do. And many believers misinterpret the creation story and they see work as a result of the fall, of sinning. Because you read this scripture in Genesis 3.17 and, and, and to the man he said, Since you've listened to your wife and ate the tree from the fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. <laughs> And you will grow thorns and thistles for you, and, through, and, and though you will eat of its grain by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. And we read that and we think that work is a curse. But it isn't. It isn't like that. Because God gave Adam and Eve work to do in the garden before the fall, before they sinned. Work is not a punishment. I know it feels like that sometimes, but it's not. Adam and Eve removed themselves from the blessing and the covering of God they came, in fact, out of covenant with God. They removed themselves out of the, of the divine design and plan for them because work is intrinsic to the nature of God. And I'm so encouraged that it starts literally on the fifth word. In the beginning, God created. So work is part of what it means to be human. It's part of what it means to be a believer. But let me clarify what work, mean, what work is. Work is your job, but it's also much more. It includes any work that you do during the day. That's housework, homemakers, washing dishes, cooking, driving the kids to school, volunteer work, whether it be for a church or a charity, or helping a friend run errands. That's work. Therefore, it's important to remember and understand that work encompasses more than nine till five, Monday to Friday. 9 till 5, Monday to Friday, wouldn't that be wonderful? 9 till 5, Monday to Friday. <clears throat> and our work, in all our work, in all that we do, we should excel to be excellent. So when I use the term work, that's what I mean. Not just your 9 to 5 job. Now some believers think that we can't serve the kingdom of God at work. That the kingdom of God work only happens after hours. The kingdom of God work is things like volunteering for church, attending life group, going on a mission trip, serving at an evangelistic event. 
But work is much more than that because we live in the kingdom of God. And the Bible teaches that we serve God through our work and the Bible clearly shows us that even when we're doing the most menial tasks, we're fulfilling the role of God. See, it's not a coincidence that when you look at most of the parables of Jesus, they took place in a work context. Never seen that before. I have to confess, I did read that in a commentary. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but, I did, but I did reference the word and I went back. And when you look through the parables, most of them are in a work context. Because as we've said so many times from this place, God is more interested in what's going on out there than what's going on in here. So when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't just tell them to keep away from certain bad apple trees. And uh, he told them to work it and to keep it. In in Genesis 2.15, it said he, he asked them to tend and to watch over it. The first purpose God had in mind for Adam wasn't to read the Bible or to pray. It was to be a good gardener, to cultivate what God had given him. The word work in the Hebrew is, it's quite funny actually, it's, it's spelled A-B-A-D, a bad. And you think, hmm, work's bad then. But it's actually pronounced a bard. And translated, it means preparing and developing. Preparing and developing a bard. And God placed Adam in the garden to develop its raw materials and to cultivate the garden. And God has placed in the world, in our work, in all the things that we do, to prepare and develop raw materials, and more importantly, to develop us. And that's not just our nine to five that we do in terms of work, that's everything that we do for him. Because as Paul says in Ephesians, we we should do everything as though we're doing it for the Lord. In other words, we're taking what God has given us to do and we're working it for God. Remember in Matthew, the parable of the, the talents, he says, to those who use well what I've given them, even more will be given. But that, and they will have an abundance, but for those who do nothing, even the little they have, that will be taken away. And this is happening all the time in the world. It's like God's economics, but it happens to believers and non-believers. You know, a building contractor, he takes bricks and he takes sand and he takes stone and he makes a house from raw materials. An artist can take colour or music and turn it into art. And a lawyer can take principles of justice and codify them into laws that benefit society. And believers can fulfil the same promise of God by taking the raw materials of this world, the things that they have in their hands and developing them. And that's why, for me, it makes it very easy to see that God is my source. Because in the beginning, everything started with him. He was the start. And this is God's plan. If someone's got a Bible, could you turn to Matthew 6.11 and read that out for me? I can't hear the rustle of paper. Give us this day our daily bread. So when you read that scripture, what does that mean to anybody? Give us the things that we need. Yeah. I mean, literally, it means like, for me, it's like food, daily bread, the things that we need. 
But when we, if we take bread as an example, we ask God to give us bread. But there was a, far, there was a farmer who literally went out into the field and he planted a seed. And he harvested the grain and he gave that grain to a miller who turned the, mil- who turned the grain into flour. And then a baker bought the flour and turned it into bread. And then there was a person who prepared the packaging and delivered it to the store. And then you bought it. And this means that there's a a whole big secular vocation that's going on that's mediating God's active care in the world. Because we've asked for our daily bread. But it's not, the bread didn't just fall from the sky. We went down to Tesco's and we bought it. But there was a, there was a process in, from raw materials that made that happen. And that's just bread. We should never begrudge our work and feel that it's not relevant to what God wants to do because we are fulfilling his purpose. And that's easy when we look at jobs where, say, for instance, we're a doctor or a dentist or a care worker because we're providing something very physical for somebody and we're caring for them. But what about if you worked as a sofa manufacturer? I mean, we could all live without chairs, couldn't we? (laughs) But what we're doing is we're providing works that people can feed their families. I'm creating a safe and nurturing environment that demonstrates the kingdom of God. You see, when we work at something and we're really good at it, we should feel inside, this is what I'm made for. This is what God's made me to do. There's a great example from, there's a classic film called Chariots of Fire. Anybody seen Chariots of Fire? And it's about a guy called Eric Liddell, who was a Christian track athlete. And in his preparation for the 1924 Olympics, at one point in the film, Liddell is confronted with an objection to his career. And somebody says to him, there's more pressing matters in the Christian life than merely running. And he responds to this. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. (laughs) And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And what a great place to be. That whatever we do, we know that we are providing something in God's economy, and that's a great pleasure for us. Paul says this, he said... Our work should be done unto God and it should be done according to the highest standards of excellence. We read in Colossians 3.17 that whatever we do or say, we do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God our Father. And that should be true whether we receive a reward or not for our work or whether anybody notices. We must represent the Lord Jesus Christ in all our work and service. We are his representatives on the earth, aren't we? We are like the ambassador. The ambassador of a nation is someone who represents a country whilst living in another country. And we are all ambassadors of the kingdom of God while we're here. But let's be honest, it is demoralising to work for someone who doesn't give us credit for what we've done or worse, someone who only responds with negative feedback. And a bad boss can can make otherwise satisfying work a nightmare. And I know what that's like. And in a situation like that, most people lose the motivation to work. After all, you may think, well, what's the point of working hard? No one ever notices either way. And even if I do, I certainly won't get credit for it. Anybody ever felt like that? 
He's so holy. Well, that's a reasonable response, but it's not a kingdom response. And I thought about Joseph. Everybody knows about Joseph. And Joseph, um, Joseph was a man who seemed to get the rough end all the time, didn't he? But God was with him. And in Genesis 39, verse 19, we read that there's a situation where Joseph is accused of um, messing around with Potiphar's wife. And he says that Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story, which wasn't true, about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favourite with the prison warden. And before long, the, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused him to succeed in everything that he did. And you see, sometimes when we, when we have a tough time with our work or whatever we're doing, we mustn't forget that we work for the Lord because ultimately he is our boss. Ultimately he is our boss. And he takes care of us and he watches over us and he will cause everything that we do to succeed. You see, our lives are in his hands because he's the source. A bit later on in the story, in Genesis 40, Pharaoh asks for an interpretation of a dream and um, if you remember, there was a cupbearer and there was a chief baker. And I think, I've just checked here, the, the chief baker, the cupbearer, I think he, yes, the chief baker basically lost his head and the cupbearer was promoted. And if you read, it says here, it says, Pharaoh's cupbearer, he, said, he predicted his dream. Pharaoh's cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph and never gave him another thought. So he'd helped this guy and said, you know, tell everybody that I've interpreted this dream. The guy interpreted the dream and forgot all about him. But the cupbearer cup forgot all about Joseph until Pharaoh wanted to know about the, the seven fat cows and the seven thin cows. And all of a sudden he remembered. And sometimes with God, it's timing. It's timing. Because when we say to Lord, my life's in your hands, we often pray that, don't we? But then when things go wrong, we get upset, don't we? <laughs> But because God knows the beginning from the end, we need to be very careful when we pray prayers like that. You know, Lord, I commit everything to you. I put my life into your hands and then something goes wrong. And we go, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> and, he, and he says to us, but your life's in my hands. I'm the source. I'm dealing with this. So we pursue excellence in all the things that we do, not because we want to impress our boss or the elders, or because hard work leads to better pay. But we work first for Christ because he takes care of us. He takes pleasure in your work, even when no one sees. C.S. Lewis <coughs> once noted how the valleys, there were many valleys in the world undiscovered by human eyes. And yet they were still filled with beautiful flowers. And he said, why did God produce so much beauty if no human eye could ever see it? And I often wonder that about the heavens. You know, we've got telescopes that can see billions of miles away, but you can't really see it. 
And Lewis said this, he said, that God does some things for his own pleasure. He sees it even when no one else does. And sometimes when we're working and we're finding that we don't get the recognition or we're not getting the promotion we want or whatever, know that God sees it and that he cares for you and that he gets great pleasure from you working for him and doing the best as unto the Lord. Because this, this perspective adds a new significance to every believer who performs tasks, even if they know they'll never get recognised. We no longer require the approval of others at work because we work primarily for him. We work for Christ and we do our best for him. In Psalm, 100, Psalm 44 verse 21 it says, God will surely have known it for he knows the secret of every heart. Because you remember, God is omnipresent. Does anybody know what omnipresent means? It means everywhere, all the time, all at once. It, tells, it, it means that God is capable of being everywhere at the same time, and it means his divine presence encompasses the whole universe. There's no location where he doesn't inhabit. So when he's with me at work, he's with Susan in the day, and he's with Tilly, and he's with Woody, and he's with Carl, he's with Stuart. He's with us all the time. You know, God doesn't spend the day with Tilly and think, so I must check in on Ben, you see how he's doing. It doesn't work like that. Because God is everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. However, if we don't do a good job in our jobs, it does happen not to go unnoticed. (laughs) And um, as a believer with a poor worth ethic, poor work ethic or sloppy performance it's not a good testimony of Christ you know we may say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord but if we don't turn into work on time or disrespect our boss we're really saying I am the Lord and working with excellence Christians not only serve God but we also display a godly attitude a kingdom attitude an attitude of service to the world and we can reflect holiness in our work See, if we work for God, then we need to work for God with excellence because God sees everything we do and we should work to the highest standard because God is watching us and we have to give an account. In Colossians 3.23, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version, it says this, it says, whatever you do, whatever task that may be, work from the soul. That is, put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from man. And then you'll receive an inheritance which is your greatest reward, for it is the Lord Christ whom you actually serve, for he who does wrong will be punished for his wrongdoing, and with God there is no partiality, no special treatment based on a person's life. You see, we've invented this word, which I've given a lot of thought to, but we've invented this whole language about being called to ministry. You must have all heard that. And yet all of us here are in full-time ministry. I remember when I grew up in the, when I was a young man growing up in the church, you used to have full-time elders and you had part-time elders. Now you laugh, but how can you have a part-time elder? So a part-time elder was somebody like Phil or I because we weren't supported by the church. So we were part-time elders. But that doesn't mean you can't be an elder part-time. You're either an elder or you're not an elder. And um, 
Everything that God has given us to do is a ministry. If you're at home with children, that's a ministry. If you're bringing up children, that's a ministry because you do it as unto the Lord. Everything that we do is a ministry. Everyone is a minister in the body of Christ. Everyone is a minister. We're all called to minister, but we all have different functions. Many years ago, um, I used to spend time with a man who was, um, he was a leader of a big Christian charity. And uh, I used to spend some time with him. And one day I, we were praying together and I just prayed for his ministry. And at the end of our time of praying together, he said, oh, I must take you up on that. He said, what I do in my work, I don't consider my ministry. And it was a very Christian thing that he was doing. He said, my ministry is outside of work. So, of course, I had a great debate with him about this. <laughs> and I said, no, no, you're wrong. I said, your whole life is your ministry. But he couldn't see that, bless him. Larry Lee, in his book, Called to Serve, always introduced himself to people as, if somebody said to Larry, what do you do for a living? He'd say, I'm a servant of the Most High God. <laughs> Because when we meet people, one of the first things we do, we ask them, is what they do for a living. Why do we do that? Because we like to judge or scale them, don't we? You know, if they say, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a brain surgeon, or, you know, I empty the bins, you know, and, we, and we, we put them into a category. That's not right. Because we're all ministers of the Lord. And whatever we do, whether we empty the bins or whether we perform neurosurgery on somebody's brain, if we're a believer in Christ, we do it as unto the Lord. And the Lord gets great pleasure from that when we do it as unto him. So let's be... And it's something we all do. I do it. You know, I say, what do you do for a living? And it sort of gives us a gauge, doesn't it? As believers, we should never use the word retirement. <laughs> and there's somebody who's heading that way. Because we never retire from our ministry with God. We stop doing our job, we retire from a job, but as Christians we never retire because we minister to him. If you're a manager here, if you oversee or direct people, we're told that we mustn't, we mustn't threaten those that we work for, work, who work under us. We, we should manage folk in very kingdom principles, because we have to give an account. We must show grace. We're not a pushover, but we must demonstrate love and compassion and grace to one another, because our, your workplace is your church. Your workplace is your church. It goes without saying that we should demonstrate purity at work. We mustn't cut corners. We must make sure that we're putting in all that we need to put in. We must show the character of God in everything that we do. In Proverbs 11 verse 1, it says, The Lord detests those who use dishonest scales, but delight in accurate weights. And there must be no unjust balances in our work. We mustn't cut corners, fudge balance sheets, skip time cards, laziness, which is basically stealing from your boss, things borrowed from the stationery cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> and so on and so on it's an abomination to him and poor ethics is a serious matter because we, we represent Christ in, our, in all our working 
We should represent him in the way we speak, how we speak about others. We should avoid the gossip, the water cooler jokes. I've um, just taken over a business and uh, had to have a really good sort out of all the mugs in the, uh, in the cupboard in the kitchen because some of the things on the mugs are not a blessing. In fact, I accidentally dropped one on purpose. <laughs> the calendars around the workshops. I want to represent Christ in everything that we do. You know, as believers, we're to act in our jobs with equality and fairness, and that sets us apart. Because we are those who have been touched by the gospel. And we, don't, we, don't merely go to, we don't merely work as Christians to hold up some big ethical banner. But we're there to show grace yeah. and an altered perspective of gratitude. We approach our work with adjusted bottom lines. We're not in the rat race. It's Christ first. We no longer go to work merely to angle for an increased position or maximise profit. Ambition is good. But if we're truly touched by grace, we begin to leverage our resources to bless those in need. We may have this perspective that grace is something that only applies in the spiritual realm, not at work. I work for all that I have and I've, I've earned every penny of it. I'm working hard in the rat race. And we often, we often say this, we work for a living. You know, one day older, another dollar in debt. Remember that song? Probably not. <laughs> I work for a living. What we should be saying is, I work for a giving. I work for giving. There's many ways that I can give in my work. Sometimes we feel like we've earned everything we have. But where did we get our work ethic from? Where did we get our intelligence, the opportunities? Because we're all here by the grace of God this morning. Remember Joseph, the Lord caused him everything he did to succeed. And remember all we have is because of him. You know, let's think about this this morning. By what decree did we grow up here and not in the Ukraine? We lived in the Ukraine. I was, I've, to be honest, I've not watched a lot of programmes about the Ukraine. And I watched a programme about the Ukraine the other day. And I, I said to Monday, I said, I just can't imagine somebody knocking on my door and saying... Get out. Somebody knocking on my door at the top of the hill up there and saying, you need to leave your house. You need to go. You need to, you need to take everything you can carry. You need to go. That's just horrific. Yeah. And I remember I watched the end of that program. I said, Lord, I just thank you that I was born in the United Kingdom, not in the Ukraine. Because God has put me here for a perfect plan. And the very air that we breathe, the very food that we eat, are gifts of grace from him. Jesus taught us that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor in spirit, those who recognise that all we have is a gift of grace. And we need to dismiss a middle-class attitude of the Spirit of God, which is not who we are, but we that we believe that we're merely reaping the fruits of our labours. Because if we believe that, we have no concept of the magnitude of the grace of God on our lives. You know, Jesus said, Paul said of Jesus that he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't see equality that was something that he needed to grasp. 
And Jesus himself said, I, the Messiah, came to serve, not to serve. So came to serve, not to be served, but to give my life as a ransom for many. I know in my own life, I left school with no qualifications. All the young people here study hard at school. Do what your parents tell you. I left school with no qualifications. But I, God has blessed me. His hand has been towards me. And I thank him for that. And it's an abundance of his grace. He's been with me like he was with Joseph. In Proverbs 3.27 it says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it, especially when you have the power to help them. And when we're at work, God is calling us to leverage our lives for the kingdom of God in our workings. And it's not just a special assignment for a few, but it's for all of us. As followers of Jesus, we are seeds that are planted in God's kingdom. And in other words... Where God has planted you, he wants to prepare you and he wants to develop you. And God has put you there for a reason. He's put you in that serving role. He's put you in that work role. Whatever that is, he's put you there to prepare you and develop you. Yes. We can adma- advance the mission through work. You know, work is all part of the Great Commission. It's not just for elders and apostles and prophets and evangelists. It's for all of us because we're all ministers. It's interesting in Acts uh, chapter 8, it says, all the believers were scattered and they preached the good news of Jesus wherever they went. It doesn't say that all the apostles, prophets and evangelists were scattered and they preached the good news wherever they went. It was everybody, everybody. And, you know, believers in the workplace today and wherever we work, wherever we serve, factory workers, homemakers, We gain access and we have reached to unreachable places. And that's why we're all in full-time ministry. You know, there are people... Where are you going? Where are you going this week? Uzbekistan. So you could meet somebody there. God could use you and take you there. And God's using your travelling to do something for the kingdom. Who knows? God's given us access to loads of different places. We're literally able to meet folk wherever we're at. At Mumstop, at the school gates, in the factory, in the dentist, in the doctors. Why are you doing neurobrain surgery? I don't know. (laughs) Any neurobrain surgeons here? No. Disciples of God, we should always do our work with a view towards the Great Commission by the way we work and the way we live our lives. God is with us. In Proverbs 22, verse 29, it says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Believers who do their work well can be greatly used in the work of the Great Commission. Their excellence in work will give them audiences with kings and influences of the most unreachable people in the earth. We're back to Joseph again. You know, Joseph went from a boy that was thrown into a pit with a, turn co- with a torn coat to the Prime Minister of Egypt, second in command. So it would make a great movie, that would. <laughs> because God was with him, and he saw God as his source. He saw God as his life was in God's hands, 
And God just blessed him. And he could have moaned. He could have moaned in the pit. He could have moaned in the prison. He could have got so upset because Potiphar accused him of something wrong. And yet God was with him all the way. And in God's time, he raised him up. So God is interested in our work lives. He wants to be involved in it. One of the biggest issues I faced when I got saved was I couldn't take God to work with me. I wasn't, that's not to say that when I went to work I wasn't a Christian, but I found it very hard to bring God into work situations. You know, I would come home from church and I would meet somebody and we'd pray together about problems in their lives or we'd talk about issues that they had at work. And then I'd go to work and I'd have this great big problem and God was the last person I would think about. It wasn't that I didn't want God to be involved. I just couldn't see him being there. I didn't think he was interested. And when I realised that he was interested and that he wanted to be involved, it was the most liberating thing ever in my life. Your work, what you do in this body, can make an eternal difference to the lives of the people that you work with. Those you work with, those you manage, those that you serve. So, I hope that's encouraged you. It's different to what you thought I was going to say. But we're redeemed by his grace. And we live out our work in the context of that grace. We need to change the way we look at and the way we do our work in light of the gospel. Because if you do that, you'll never look at work the same way again. Amen. I'd love to pray for us all this morning. In whatever, that we, whatever we do, that God will bless us. Let's just stand together in his presence. Father, I thank you that you are with us. That, Father, wherever we find ourselves this week, that you are there. You are right by our side. As we've, as we've learned, you're omnipresent. You're everywhere all the time. And Father, I thank you that you take a great interest, that you see pleasure, that you get pleasure, Lord, from, from seeing us working unto you. And so, Lord, I just pray for everyone who hears my voice, that, Lord, whatever their job is, whatever their serving is, whatever their ministry is, that, Lord, that this week they would know that you hold them in your hands. That, Lord, you are for them, that you want them to succeed in everything that they do. That you see their work as a pleasure, as a sweet offering, Lord, unto you. And, Lord, I pray that for all of us that we will have great opportunities, Lord, to display your kingdom, to display your faithfulness, to display your grace, to display your love, Lord, in everything that we do. That, Lord, we would indeed fulfil the great commission, Lord, through all our work, in all our serving, in all our sharing with one another, Lord. And so, Lord, for those of us who are struggling at work at the moment, who find it a problem or there are, there are issues with other folk, <clears throat> Lord, I just pray that you would pour in your grace, that, Lord, you would give those folk a real confidence to know that they are in the centre of your will, that you know what's going on, you see every unseen conversation, that you see those things because you are the Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray a blessing on all our work, on all our endeavours, and all the things and all our serving, Lord, that you will bless it, that you will multiply it, and it will become a greater and greater blessing to everything in this kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.